0: Hey everybody, welcome to the Data Driven Real Estate Podcast, the podcast for real estate professionals dedicated to driving business success using data. I'm Aaron Norris and with us once again is co-host Sean O'Toole.
1: (laughs) Aaron, thanks. This is going to be another good one. I hope we got a lot of questions after the last one so hopefully you can answer some of those.
0: Yeah. You know, everybody wanted to talk about how you disappeared in 2016, why you stopped talking and really wanted to have a little bit more insight because of the pandemic. A lot of people are very worried um, about the strategies of owning rentals right now. Just where is the economy going to go? So why did you stop speaking in 2016? I guess that's a good place to start.
1: Yeah. Jump right in, huh? Yeah. So, you know, after the foreclosure crisis, ended up on 60 minutes and ended up talking a lot about foreclosures and then housing, housing affordability, um, you know, where the market was headed and all the rest, um, you know, kind of like your dad got a really good, uh, reputation for letting everybody know to get out in 2006. I, uh, one of the things that I said was foreclosures are going to slow down faster than we think. And, and, uh, And a lot of people were surprised to hear that in 2009, 2010. Um, But I saw some regulatory changes that turned out to play out. So fast forward to 2016, right? I've been talking economics for a solid eight years. And I realized that for like about three years, I was saying the same thing and that things weren't really changing and I didn't think they were going to change. Um, until we had another event um, as it were. So, you know, I basically did kind of my last rounds with the real estate investment clubs and realtor associations and brokerage offices and mortgage companies and uh, kind of laid out what I thought was going to happen from there. (laughs) Um, And I had three three primary uh, takeaways.
0: You did. So let's go through those because I I last heard you speak at the Coachella Valley Real Estate uh, Investors Association. Hi, Janet and Larry. <laughs> I Actually, had, we had dinner a couple of weeks ago and I was telling them this. And um, yeah, yeah, you had three takeaways. Um, yeah, let's just, I guess, start there.
1: Yeah. You know, so the, the first one, right, is that, um, you know, we're having I- increasing debt. And debt was going to be a drag on growth overall. And, you know, it's a long story. We can start back in the 1970s. um, And, uh, but but just on that one, right? In the 1970s, we had this period of really uh, high inflation. Um, We got to really high interest rates and we kind of deflated. When you have periods of inflation, right? The dollars become less valuable. So does the debt, the debt gets kind of compressed in these periods of high inflation. So we had very little debt. Very high interest rates. And from the 70s to today, if you kind of look at interest rates, they're in this kind of trajectory. It's not a perfectly straight line, but they're going down, down, down. And as that line goes down, right, we can take on more debt for essentially the same payment. So you can think about that at the household level, right? Uh, My income may not go up, but if the interest rate goes down, I can take on more debt, right? And same thing for corporations. As rates go down, they can take on more debt, stock buybacks, whatever, right? And same thing for the government. And I really believe that's what's fueled our economy now for 50 years, right? Or 40 years, since the late 1970s, 40 years. So, um, you know, I'm a tech guy, so I'd love to say that it was tech that fueled the economy. But if you look at... At the line of increase of debt and the line of increase of GDP those two are far more correlated
0: and if you're not on YouTube I will put the chart up that he's talking about um, because it is very interesting to sort of see the lines just sort of cross Um, yeah yeah for sure I remember dad likes to tell the story as he uh, he got into real estate investing in full-time in 1980 timed the market perfectly and got in at 17.5% interest rates, he refied his owner occupancy home so he could be a full-time real estate investor. <laughs> so you look <laughs> at the the chart of interest rates and it was literally probably the worst day on record. But when you say just the inflation piece and the and the dev- devaluation of debt, so you're saying you know, one year it's 15% and then it goes to 16. If you were the owner of the debt at 15% and then it went up to 16, <laughs> nobody's gonna want your 15 year uh, note, so. Um, oh, okay.
1: They will, but they'll want a discount to make right. it pay a 16% rate. So that's where the debt itself is getting deflated, right? In that situation, which we haven't had for a very long time. That was the 1970s.
0: Right. So, okay. So we've been building an economy based on cheap money over the last 40 years. I, I can definitely see, see that coming. Okay.
1: And we're getting closer and closer to where we can't get cheaper.
0: I was going right? to say, like we're... Zero so from
1: 17 to 16 to 15 to 14, right? Lots of room there, but now we're pretty close to zero. And so that was a big part of my thinking after 2008 is like, holy moly, how do we rescue things now if we can't just, you know, go cheaper interest rates and create bubbles? And, you know, where we really saw this was this kind of bubble crisis cycle that started in two thousand with the housing crisis, or sorry, um, in, with the dot-com crisis. So we had the dot-com bubble uh, in 2000, right? Followed by the World uh, Trade Center and, and, and that, but, but a lot of stuff going on right then. Um, and you know, so we had this major crisis, this major drop in especially you know, tech stocks, telecom stocks, et cetera, um, unemployment, lots of impacts. And we kind of rescued the economy by blowing up a housing bubble, right? That was fully backed and supported by the Fed. In fact, cheered on by the Fed, right? And so we used this housing bubble to save us from the dot-com bubble. And, and then the housing bubble kind of collapsed under its own weight, right? And we, then the Fed bought mortgage-backed securities, and put in a lot of stimulus into the, we put a lot of stimulus into the economy and the rest, right? And so we kind of, you know, uh, bought ourselves out of that um, housing crisis with with really, you, you see the lines of kind of all debt, student loan debt being the fastest growing, corporate debt, government debt, you know, even mortgage debt has kind of come back, um,
0: Just you know, the, yeah. uh,
1: Uh, Despite everything that went on during that time, but, you know, debt just skyrocketed after 2008, right? And that's kind of how we rescued ourselves from that uh, crisis. And so my second big conclusion after debt will be a drag on growth, we're going to see slower growth, harder to achieve growth, right? Is that the next time something goes wrong, the Fed's going to act even more aggressively, and I joked at the time. My my cartoon was Janet Yellen standing behind the Honey I Shrunk the Kids shrink ray, and that whatever the problem is, she's going to shrink it. And uh, you know, and I had a whole bunch of different possible things, black swans, as they were, that could go wrong. Right, we could have another bubble blow up, burst. Um, but we could also have other things, right? Cybersecurity incidents, terrorism incidents. Um, you know, lots of things can cause these uh, dislocations. Um, you
0: define black swan if, if somebody hasn't read the book? How do you define it?
1: Yeah, so a black swan is a, there are these things that happen that are unexpected. But unexpected things always happen. So we should expect them, right? <laughs> right. So, you know, 9-11 was a black swan. Um, the internet actually was a black swan, right? So, uh, you know, think about uh, you're, uh, if you're selling modems and the internet comes along, right? <laughs> and, or, what you know, maybe modems is the wrong example, but right, like things get displaced, right? The, the internet's certainly been a black swan for cable, TV, for telephone, for lots of things, right? So it's, it's these things, they're not necessarily bad, but there's these things that come along that cause unexpected change and consequence, um, you know, that often can be quite negative, at least for some, uh, what's interesting though is one of the ones that I had on my sheet was pandemic, right? So I had the guys in the full hazmat suits and all the rest was one of my possible, possible things. And, um, you know, so, you know, these You know, that is one of the ones that, you know, I felt at the time could be one of these things that uh, could happen. (laughs) Which I have
0: to say is very random because I don't know. I'm 43. I don't recall anything like this ever happening. So for you to pick that one out is very interesting.
1: (laughs) Well, it's, it's hardly like I picked it, right? Like, I mean, Bill Gates and back in 2016, I think he'd already done his talk and lots of people were talking about. It's only a matter of time until we have one. The fact that we weren't prepared for this is disgusting. Right? Like it's just it's it's inexcusable. <laughs> um, it, it was it was going to happen. It was just a matter of when.
0: And the fact that globally it's been anyway. So we'll,
1: we'll come back to what what what's gonna happen. Let's okay, we'll yeah, keep going. So basically okay. I said something else is gonna happen and the Fed is gonna step in. So that was my second thing. And then my third big thing that I thought was important for everybody in the real estate community to understand is that automation um, is accelerating, right? So productivity and uh, wages went up kind of in lockstep into the 60s and then they separated and wages went flat and productivity continued to go up, right? and that happened basically with the introduction of business application software and as automation has continued that's continued right anybody who thinks we're going to bring jobs back to america you know manufacturing jobs and the rest we could bring manufacturing back but it's not going to bring jobs back in the way that it was in you know the good old days right uh, china is going to have as much problem with workforce disruption from automation and progress as we are right so it's you know that's not that's not a war we even should be fighting or talking about it's it's not the future i think you you know hand assembling stuff is not our future
0: and you had something in the presentation saying that we had only lost a certain percentage Due to exporting it, it, it really had a lot more of the loss of jobs be, was because strictly because of automation. So I think there is that narrative that oh we're going to bring those jobs back and we're going to you know get those union paying manufacturing when automation and robotics at this point those are never coming back.
1: Right. Yeah. No. I think I'm uh, just looking for that. Twenty five percent of manufacturing job loss is due to globalization. The other seventy five percent is due to technology and automation.
0: Okay. I know we'll go back there as well because I have a lot more concerns.
1: Here's the the bigger one that people don't realize, right? U.S. manufacturing output is at an all-time high. U.S. manufacturing employment is lower than it was in the 1940s. 1940s? Yeah. So, It's not, right? It's not that we've lost manufacturing. I mean, we've lost some of this high labor, cheap labor manufacturing, right? Jobs we probably don't want to do anyways. But our, our actual manufacturing output is is higher than ever. So anyways, there's, there's a lot of bad information and bad data around all of that. But I think it's important for the real estate community, right? Because we are seeing... Open door and iBuyers and Zillow and all this disruption, and I think that even in real estate, which is not one of the uh, most forefront in, in the technology and automation uh, industries, right, most at the forefront. Um, I think it's important for those of us in the industry to be thinking about how do we work more efficiently, how do we do that better, so. Those were my big three things, right? Growth's going to be tough. The, the We're going to have something else come up. And we're probably going to have things be pretty stable until that happens, right? And when it does happen, the Fed is going to come out with their shrink ray. And automation is accelerating. And um, if you want to be successful, you should get on that bandwagon rather than fighting it.
0: So... Got it. And in 2016, what were some of the things that uh, maybe strategies that you were talking to investors or about doing to make sure they were taking advantage of the market?
1: Yeah. So in a market that's not growing, right? So based on growth slowing, um, there's really just one way to win, which is to take business from your competition. Right? Nice. So, uh, you know it is it is right there's a certain level of business there's a certain level of transactions if you're a realtor in California there's 400,000 transactions that happen a year if you want more of them you've got to take them from somebody else right it's just it's that simple and um, you know so tough for competition focusing on the competition focusing on how to use again back to the automation automation to uh, have an advantage over the competition. I think were really uh, important things. And then bigger picture, I said, you know, be prepared. Don't get caught like many of you got caught in 2008, right? We will have another dislocation. I don't know what it will be, but we will have something's going to happen. Terrorist attacks, cybersecurity event, major utility outages. Like, you know, there's so many possibilities. And don't you know you can live in fear of those things right or you can say you know what uh, somebody you know um, who was it there's a schwarzenegger was like you shouldn't have a plan b right if you have a plan b that's all you'll ever accomplish you just got to go for your plan a right i'm all for a plan a but i believe in safety nets like i'm all good with the safety net right and You know, so my kind of advice was, you know, hey, swing for the fences, go climb that big rock, but but wear the safety harness, right? So that if something does, that rock comes loose, something happens, like, you know, you're not dead. (laughs) So basically, you're saying it's going to be a pretty stable market. It's not going to be a high growth market. Go steal from your competition, business from your competition, do better than them, focus on automation. And just know something's going
0: to happen at some point. Okay, so we're back four years later. Let's uh, let's let's sort of dissect those three things that you were talking about. I mean the, I mean just the leverage alone piece. What's happened over the last five years? You look at the student debt. What's interesting is you when you look at the chart, and I'll make sure on YouTube that we show this is that you know, the the breakdown of the debt that's exploded. What's interesting is that the mortgage debt finally started to uptick, but you see that the GDP growth is no longer attached at all to, to the leverage. That's concerning.
1: Yeah, you know, so you have debt and GDP kind of all going up together and then suddenly most debt just goes straight up and GDP just kind of still, that yeah, is what it is, right? It went down a little after 2008 and then it's just been kind of steadily, ticking along as it's always ticked along and uh, you know so yeah for sure
0: and i you know you've got some european con- countries looking at negative interest have Im- deployed negative interest rates and it you know i haven't looked at any housing pricing charts uh for those areas because it's still less than a year old i think for the markets that i was looking at but do you think that'll happen here in the u.s
1: yeah so negative interest rates that's a uh that's a good one um I don't think it'll happen, Um, you know, our next black swan is here, right, COVID. Right. Um, So, you know, if there was a time to hit negative rates, right, it'd probably be right now, right? Uh, And I don't know. It looks like we may avoid it this time, right? They've they've poured the gas on in enough other places that they haven't done that with with rates. And I understand there's some... um, contagion possibilities with pushing rates down so you have just let's say you have a lot of funds in money markets right and if you push rates down too much people will pull their money out of there and that could cause a run-on bank which causes other problems and so Uh they've got to play with all the pieces of the puzzle right i'm not an expert in this right but you know, they've been buying corporate bonds this time, which they didn't do after 2008. That's big, that's new. Um, you know, you've got uh, all these uh, other things that, that have been going on. But I think, you know, just to take one little step back, right? So the next black swan came, it's COVID. And um, massively deflationary, right? So if you think about, you uh, you know, the economy, like suddenly every boat is leaky and sinking, right? Like it is just a very deflationary um, bad hit. People are staying at home. They're not spending as much bars, restaurants, right? It's just awful. And so, you know, when something like that happens – you have to have some response, right? You don't have to, but you should have some response or some strategy, you know, as monetary and fiscal policy, right? So the Fed and Congress basically should have some strategy of like, how are we going to address this? And there's just really four options, right? So one option is austerity, right? we don't do anything, we don't, we're not gonna we're gonna tighten our belts, we're gonna live with it, right? And we're just gonna suffer this deflation.
0: Now Greece Greece tried to do that. It didn't feel like that worked out so well.
1: <laughs> yeah, Ireland did it though somewhat successfully, right? So it, it depends on the degree and stuff, right? I, I think I think a year ago would have been a good time to think about some, or two years ago or three years ago, would have been a good time to think about a little austerity, right? Economy's cooking along pretty good, right? We could have tightened our boats a little bit without very much pain, right? So
0: that's sexy to run for political office. I'm the austerity, (laughs) you know? Yeah.
1: yeah. Which is why all democracies fail, right? Because we don't vote for doing the right thing. We vote for doing the easy thing. And, you know, so it, 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 so we're gonna face that at some point in time. So austerity really hard, right? Especially when you've already got this huge deflationary force to not provide some sort of support into that super hard, not suggesting it's what we shouldn't be doing mm-hmm. at all. I, I don't think it's a bad thing to do a little bit of it in the good times, balance the budget, get things, right? Uh, kind of even build some reserves, uh, state governments, uh, you actually have to have a balanced budget. You can't print money. So if you're in a state government listening, like the next time there's a big boom, right? Don't blame Prop 13 when it goes bust. Understand you squandered all the money in between, right? Like awkward. so, okay, right? awkward. Yeah. Um, so austerity. The next one is, you know, debt restructuring and defaults, right? So you have this major downturn, and you let people restructure their debt, you let them default or you just have defaults and you kind of let that go, you pull a lot of debt out of the economy that allows then people to start spending again because they don't have to pay, repay debt, right? right? And that gets the economy going again and you can get things restarted, right? Right. So um, the tough one there is, right? You're really picking winners and losers, right? Holders of debt, which tend to be fairly powerful folks, like are losing and losing bad, right? And debt, you know, borrowers, you know, are kind of getting a free pass, right? Uh, They may lose their asset or whatever, but, you know, perhaps they're getting a free pass. Perhaps they're, you know, they get some sort of penalty, but still it's a ugly, tough, tough thing and picks winners and losers and can create a lot of strife. right? So not a great one. Okay. The next one is wealth redistribution, right? So um, you, you basically tax those that have money and give it to those that don't, right?
0: Already talking a lot about that <laughs> as we're and going into the election season. I expect we'll see a lot of that.
1: This is going to happen uh, as part of this at the state and local level. Yeah, I don't expect it at the federal level, But you know, I think California went from like a $4 billion surplus to a $54 billion projected deficit. Yeah. Um, The state of Nevada is talking about adding an income tax. Um, You know, you got a lot of stuff going on there. There's a lot of folks who, a lot of states, a lot of local governments who aren't gonna be able to fill those holes without picking somebody's pocket. So um, we're gonna see. Well, the primary form of wealth redistribution is taxes. And we're going to see some of that as a result here for sure. The final one, number four, is to print money and devalue it, right? Just pump money into the economy. And that's what we're doing, right? (laughs) A lot of it. (laughs) and, And everybody's agreed, right? The Fed has said we have to do it. Right. The Democrats have said we have to do it. The Republicans, there's been zero debate about that's the one out of the four that we're choosing. Right. We're going to just print money like mad and go for it.
0: How many T's? That's the only thing they're fighting about. So I know we're we're talking. Trump just came out this week, said he's looking at another trillion and they're back later in July. So, yeah, for sure. More is coming.
1: And you know what? We're so fortunate and this may sound terrible, We're so fortunate that this crisis that hit us is a worldwide crisis because guess what? Every central bank, every government's doing the same thing. So it's not going to put us on a significantly worse footing, right? Everybody's doing this for the most part, right? Uh, Especially folks that have their own currencies, right? Right. Um, You know, anyways, what's happening to countries that don't in this kind of a situation where You know we print lots of money um and uh you know they still have to pay back it's not good so in any case that's clearly what we're going to do and um you know and that's where we're at
0: all right well i mean you print all that money i mean obviously there's a big conversation about inflation That impacting prices. If you own real estate, you're in the real estate community, that gets you excited because real estate is a basket of commodities and prices go up. I mean, is that, are we looking at inflation?
1: Yeah. So when you have this much massive stimulus, right, you're going to have massive inflation, right? Which basically is the value of the dollar goes down. Two interesting things here though, right? We already have massive deflation from COVID. Right, nobody's so spending money. You add this inflation, and what you get, hopefully, if we do it right, is reflation. So, not inflation, we just get things back to where they were. We reflate the economy. There'll be a dip in between, but if they do it right, that yeah. dip will yeah. be shorter and less severe, right? Okay. And that's inflation. So instead of having massive inflation on the other side of this, if they get it wrong and do too much, we will, right? If they get it wrong and do too little, we still have devaluation, right? Right. Inflation. And if they get it right, we reflate and we get back to where we were.
0: Man, this is going to be so interesting to watch. We talked last show about urban centers, lots of articles coming about winners and losers when it comes to people rethinking their urban existence. I um, was reading an article um, I shared with Property Radar today, The all the employees about uh, New York and sp- specifically um, people leaving in mass, how that's going to impact commercial real estate prices. And then just knowing because we're in Florida and watching prices and the demand. And um, it's just going to be really interesting to see how people handle this and how long this lasts. Because I mean, if this... If we do not control the pandemic, I don't think people have a choice, but like, I'm uncomfortable here. This is not sustainable. Um, at some point, if the government doesn't continue writing those checks, so right now we're in July, the government's looking at all the programs. Do we ex- extend the pandemic unemployment? $600 per week. It ends at the end of this month. You know, holy cow, what happens if it in August comes and this continues to be really bad and there's no end in sight of, for controlling it?
1: So be clear, Republicans, Fed, Democrats, they'll continue to provide stimulus for as long as necessary. Like, there's no question in my mind about that. So, you know, they're going to keep trying to hit reflation. Um, And, you know, three options just aren't really viable options, especially for a politician. Right. Like, so as a politician, it's really your only thing you're going to do. And the bummer part is, right, is the government's not very good at this. Right. So you take something like the six hundred dollar a week extra unemployment. Right. It's awesome in terms of if you look at, at, you know, kind of a wage equivalency. Right. It's been great about keeping money in the economy and all the rest. Um, a really good successful program from that side. But now you're a small business, right? You're allowed to reopen. You need people to come work for you to reopen. And your people are saying, "Uh, you're paying me 15 bucks an hour and I'm getting 15 bucks an hour on top of regular unemployment to stay home and watch The Simpsons, right? I'm not coming back to work. You know, and then the employer goes, well, if I tell the unemployment office that I offered you a job, they're gonna cut you off of unemployment. And then the, the employer goes, if you do that, right? Like I'm gonna badmouth you and I'm, you know, it, it left, it's leaving employers in an impossible situation, right? Yeah. So the government's just not very good at this, right? They're picking winners and losers. Like the intent's great, Right, Some of the outcomes are great, but some of the outcomes are bad. Same thing with PPP, right? You've got companies that it's been absolutely wonderful for. They were able to keep all their employees on, all the rest. You've got others that, you know, they can't bring people back because they're still shut down. Yeah. And maybe they'll bring them back and be able to use that dollars in that time, but it's not going to really offset all the income they've lost. Yeah. It's not going to make up all the expenses they've had. Where they've still had to pay for all the things to keep their business ready to come back to life, and we're going to have a lot of businesses that aren't going to make it. Like there was probably a better way to do that um, program, right? And it's tough because we don't have good data. They don't have good data on the you know, IRS has some data, but really, when you look at it all, like what's going to the owner? We don't want to. We don't want to write checks so the owner can still go. You know. Sail in their yacht and go on fancy vacations, but we do want to give enough so that they can keep their folks employed right right we're just not good at it, so there will be winners and losers, and there will be winners and losers at kind of all levels and in in housing
0: yeah, I think some of the European countries instead of giving that extra aid to Directly to the people, it went through the businesses and with the goal of just keep your people employed, even if they're not doing anything. We want the money to go through you, um, right to make them whole. And cap
1: that at the lost income, right? So you will make up, you know, as much lost income as you have if you keep all your folks employed.
0: That seems like that would have been a better fit, but.
1: Maybe minus maybe minus profits under you know. So if you were a super profitable company, we'll make up your income minus this you know, you know. Keep it, keep your profits. Maybe even keep you at break even. We'll make up you know income loss below your break even point to keep all your folks employed. Something. Maybe there's some better way to do it.
0: Yeah, I'm sure the the takers of the PPP weren't expecting public relations nightmares for taking the money, and now it's being shared with everybody, and they're like, oh. <laughs> That's no fun.
1: You know, I don't know. It, the, it's, uh, the money was put out there with a certain set of rules. And, you know, if you met those requirements, you should have taken the money. Like, that was the point. Like, what's the stupidest freaking thing is that we still have a billion dollars plus that didn't get used because people got afraid of the rules. The point, even if, let's just say, worst case, that money went into some fat cat's pocket right? He's still going to go buy a boat. That boat, by building that boat is going to employ people. Like it would be better to have it misallocated than not. allocated. Correct. It yep. would be better not to have it misallocated for sure. I'm not, I'm not saying it should be misallocated, but <laughs> people being upset that some of it got misallocated because they rushed it out a little, you know, too quick better they rushed it out quick, right? I can think you and I can sit here and, you know, armchair quarterback how they maybe could have done it better. And hopefully they'll do it better next time, right?
0: Well, have their shot when they get back. But going into election season, man, I feel like this is going to get uncomfortable.
1: Yeah. But they needed to do it. They needed to do something fast. They needed to get the money out there. It still was probably too slow. It's better they did it. And we shouldn't be picking on those companies
0: very true so well let's let's try to bring this back into the real estate market, so Corlate Logic came out in the last couple of days, talked about how they they're thinking you know uh, prices may in decrease by six percent i I just think it's so weird to national numbers are so hard because I think it's going to be so local. I don't know right. how you're feeling about that
1: yeah, I think there's a lot of truth to to that, like we're seeing quite a bit of different issues, right so let's just walk through demand and supply, right? Because supply and demand kind of at the end of the day end up impacting housing. And I think a lot of these things are coming up, right? So on the demand side, right, uh, people can now work from home, right? And so they're going, well, why am I living in this dump that's near my job when I can go live where I've always wanted to live and work from home? right? Especially for all those tech companies that have said, you can work from home permanently now, right? So, uh, I'm based in, in Tahoe, if you can see that picture. And um, uh, we, uh, we're seeing multi-million dollar houses that have sat on the market for a year get six offers. Wow. Right? Like, it is, it's going crazy. My guess is that full-time residency here doubles, in the next uh, year.
0: Okay, well, that's a headline. Well, because well, here's why. I'm um, Part of my job is reading the news every day and some people are like, oh, you know, these secondary house housing markets are gonna get hosed, but basically you just said at a very high price point that may not happen. That's really interesting.
1: And, and Well, what are secondary housing markets? they are places where people want to live, right? <laughs> they have that secondary house because that's where they want to be and their first house is their place they don't want to be. right. So anybody who's thinking the place you want to be in a work from home world is the place that's going to be hurt, like, no, 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 you you don't have your brain on.
0: That makes me laugh because it was such a simple response. You're like, well, duh! <laughs> that's fantastic. I actually want to live there. Yeah, all of a sudden we're looking around the room like I don't want to live with you anymore, and I don't want to live here anymore. So,
1: <laughs> that's I, I think those are two right. Like so, household separations. I think we're going to see a massive spike in divorce rates. Right, people forced <laughs> together. In ways that they haven't been ever in their life and spent more time together in the last little bit. And I think that's gonna make some folks a lot closer. And I think it's gonna have some folks go, oh, heck no, I am done, right? We're separating, right? And so that's gonna create demand. Um, We're gonna see a move from dense to less dense, which is gonna create demand in those less dense areas. It's gonna create supply in the dense areas right? I think people realize that even with a reflation, when you print this much money, it doesn't all leak out in the right places. And, uh, you know, some people would say right now that cash is trash, because to any degree, you know, we're still devaluing dollar, even if we just get to reflation, right? When you print this much money, money's not worth as much as it was before. And some people would prefer to have hard assets. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, exotic cars don't seem to be dropping that much in price. Right. Art doesn't seem to be declining that much in price. Real estate, um, desirable real estate is we're not seeing declines. We're seeing increases in many cases. Right. So there's a desire for hard assets, hard assets. And we're also seeing lower interest rates. Right. So that's also bullish for for demand and, and pushing prices up. No, not that it's all good, right? Um, Certainly uh, folks who own short-term rentals um, have been pretty massively hit. A lot of folks are starting to booking again. I think a lot of folks will survive. Uh, Some folks were really smart. I have a friend that as soon as it all started happening, he started advertising. He had 20-plus short-term rentals. He started advertising them all as in Escape New York, fully furnished right? I think he's going to end up doing better with these long-term escape New York renters than he did with his short-term renters uh, financially because he didn't have to keep cleaning them and turning it over. and doesn't have all that stuff, right? Right. Um, But certainly some short-term rental folks, there's definitely a lot that got really hurt, right? And some of those aren't going to survive. They're going to need to sell. So, you know, it's funny that
0: I was on a, a, a talk and uh, I was speaking to realtors, uh, sort of a presentation on this about property radar. And then afterwards, I hung on the line to talk about the haves and wants. And she was actually said, Orange County getting rid of my vacation rental. So, yeah. So. At the price point, a lot of times it didn't make sense. I, I mean, unless you can get those high dollar amounts, yeah. So, but what you said is interesting because I always think of demand too and price point. In San Diego, anything under a certain price goes really fast. And then in brackets, you know, you go over three million dollars, those could be hanging out for two years. So a lot of real estate investors I know have very strategically pulled out of that category over the last couple of years are not doing it anymore. But yep. it's gonna be interesting to watch.
1: Okay. Interesting to watch. Now and this is the most depressing one, right? Like our worst-off ha- households have been the hardest hit, right? Mm-hmm. They've been the hardest hit by COVID. They've been the hardest hit by the economy. You know, they're just the the, the hardest hit. Uh, I think, uh, what is it? Uh, uh, the Fed said uh, 40% of households under $40,000 a year in income um, wow. you know, have had a job loss. Um, you know, so that is definitely going to put a lot of downward pressure on the market, right? Um, and we're going to see a lot of defaults and um, and that. So that it's not all good news. I mean, we joke about some of this stuff, people getting divorced, creating demand, whatever. Um, that, not that that's good news either, but, right, like, um, you know, uh, Like this is this is going to be a a major downturn. It's going to be tough to recover from. It's going to be especially tough to recover from if we don't, you know, get on top of this. uh, um, You know what's going on with COVID pretty soon, right? We have the absolute worst statistics pretty much in the world. Like pretty much everybody's doing a better job than we are, Mm -hmm. and um, you know. So hopefully we get to vaccine. Hopefully we get to people being a little more careful. And we get this thing slowed down and and we can get back to back to work. So, but until we get, you know, past that, it's it's a pretty significant economic hit, even with the stimulus. And again, winners and losers, um, we are going to see some losers there. I don't know how well dense real estate in San Francisco does over the next little bit here until we get past this, um, you know, Lower income neighborhoods probably get hit pretty hard, um, you know. So yeah, it's not—it's definitely not all, all good news. Um, I don't think we're going to see a downturn like we saw after 2008, though, for housing, for sure.
0: That's. That's good to hear. You know, this is my first full cycle. Um, having getting, gotten into real estate in 2005 and you know, starting to buy real estate as, as rentals, it's been an interesting journey. But I think back to that time period and being able to buy rentals in states like California for way below replacement cost is so interesting. I think part of my concern right now is going into the election season and you see some of the bills that are coming up and knowing some of the concerns that were already a problem before COVID-19. So LA just re- as an example just released more homelessness data and it, it it has I think it increased by over 10% again. And they raised billions of dollars with the HHH fund and they're on par to hit an affordable housing unit of $530,000. And it's taken them three years to get there. So they were already looking at ways to address it. And now this happens. And so a lot of the state of California is just, man, I'm worried about cities that were too reliant on one industry, like schools. So I was listening to the different um, CEOs of the, the California school systems come out. Like, yeah, fall's closed. So all those foreign students, they, they're not coming to town, which could definitely impact a lot of real estate investors in particular, in those towns that are really reliant. I, it's, it's just scary. I don't think we've you seen it.
1: Right? There's a lot of pressure on universities to open for the foreign students because if they're not open, they're going to send them home. So uh, yeah, that all that is, is pretty, uh, pretty interesting right now. You know, we'll never solve affordable housing by building on affordable housing and <laughs> everything right now. That's, that's, that's the fix, right? Like, oh, we need to build more unaffordable housing. Like, let's, you know, we're going to solve homelessness by, by building $500,000 housing units, right? Like, we have to go to shitty housing. and um, <laughs> Shitty housing. We're uh, 24 and all the rest. We, we've just made it, we've made it too expensive to build. And we're going to continue to have, especially in California, we're going to continue to have a huge supply problem right, when we have layers on layers, layers of local, state, county regulations that just make it so expensive to build, we're not gonna have enough supply. Now, that can be very different. This is a national audience, right? So that's very different. And if you're in an area where there's high supply and you've got these things going on, right, it's a very different outlook for housing and housing prices in a place that maybe already had too much supply and not enough demand or demand that was moving or leaving from that area. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it is definitely, it is definitely regional. We should talk about, we only have I think a handful of minutes left. We should dive into, you know, having been uh, the foreclosure guy on 60 minutes back in 2008, we should probably talk about foreclosures. A bit. Yeah. I mean, are you expecting, uh, yeah. <laughs> Go for it.
0: So what are you thinking? I mean, I, I, there states like California, they're just put the kibosh on it. So I think they're going to extend that for the remainder of the year and other states follow suit.
1: Well, Fannie and Freddie and stuff, right? We're seeing plenty of foreclosure moratoriums, also eviction moratoriums. So even if you buy the foreclosure, you can't evict the folks, right? So it's, it's like pretty nutty. Um, so, uh, so with regards to foreclosures, right? A minute ago, I said, I don't think we're going to see another housing downturn. And foreclosures has a lot to do with that. So I think that's why it's important to touch on it. We will definitely see a wave of foreclosures. We've already started to see an uptick. Okay. And, um, you know, with some coming back online, it never went to zero. We always had a few, right? It was always funny watching like the one or two or four guys a week that still bought deals and they actually bought pretty good deals in, in a lot of cases because nobody else was going down to stand at the uh, courthouse steps. And most things that you went down there for were postponements. So there were, there were actually a couple, a uh, couple of good little deals out there, but um, we're starting to see a little uptick now because the foreclosure moratoriums have, have were always only were kind of like for those affected by COVID. Right. So you get some, vacant properties, land, things like that. Those have been still foreclosing. Um, But what we have been doing now since March is postponing all the normal foreclosures from the five Ds of foreclosures, right? Uh, Death, divorce, disease, drugs, denial, right? And so all of those have been postponing uh, now for some time. And as these moratoriums come off, not a single one of these foreclosures will be due to COVID right? But they've been postponing because it's too easy for a homeowner in a house go to say, well, I would have caught up on my payments if it wasn't for COVID, right? So as a lender, you know that they haven't made their payments in uh, two years, but you're going to wait for the moratorium to be lifted so you're not in court arguing, you know, why maybe they couldn't have come back up and made the payments, right? So we know there's going to be a wave of foreclosures as the moratoriums, left, right. Cause they're just backed up, you know, our normal level of foreclosures every day, those aren't happening. So those will all come out in kind of a, a pop, right. Maybe, maybe not in a day or a week, but over maybe two months, we're going to see a little wave. Uh, our foreclosure folks are, are going to have, uh, you know, some bond there, you know, It is quieter down at the auctions uh, these days, Um, and you know it's important to watch because it could be you know whatever that they decide out. We're going to release these five, release these whatever, and we are seeing a little bit of that now. So I do expect a wave of foreclosures, okay, not due to COVID. Now coming back to foreclosures due to COVID, you really need to look at your particular state and its guidelines. Um, but we saw back in 2008, it wasn't unusual for it to be one to two years from the time of missed payment to the time of foreclosure, even three, four years, right? So think about first missed payment is March, right? The first COVID related foreclosures, I think we'll see in most states will be, you know, Probably April, May, June of 2021. Wow. So it's out there away still. Okay. Yeah. And while...
0: Coordinate maybe.
1: What's that? It
0: takes everybody some time to coordinate because you wonder yeah. if the federal government, the GSEs will sort of be like, yeah, we can't dump this all at one time. Let's really be strategic about.
1: And that, I think right there, you hit the key thing. So we're going to see a wave of these folks that have been backed up. They're not going to see any mercy, right? They, they were already far behind before those are going to go, right? I, I believe we're going to see a bounce, right? And then things will probably come back to where they were six months ago. And, okay. you know, just kind of a, a, a level. And then I think we will see another um, bump. It, it's going to be very different than 2008, in 2008 the regulators held banks accountable to get rid of bad assets as fast as possible so the bank was expected to you know declare default at the minimum number of days allowed in that state notice you know the notice of default notice the trustee sale sale right you just you were looking to do everything as fast as possible and meet the statutes right, of that state. And then you went through all of that, you had an opening bid that was the amount owed on the property, which for that first wave of foreclosures in 2007 and 2008, especially 2007 through the first half of 2008, it was more than the property was worth. The bank took back every single one of those properties, right? And, you know, they every single one of them went into their inventory. Now, what happens with that inventory? Same regulations, right? They have to dispose of it as fast as possible, which means putting it on the market and dropping the price until it sells. Mm -hmm. Same time, those same banks have stopped lending into those markets or made it really tough to get a loan. So you've got this perfect storm of lots of inventory, you know, hitting the market at the same time with no loans available, right? And they kept lowering the price until it finally attracted the bottom feeder cash buyer that went, holy moly, this is a, 10, 12, 15% return if I just rent it out. Well, of course I'm gonna buy that. Right? Yeah. yeah. And those early deals, that's that's the kinds of returns it was. And then you had Waypoint Blackstone and the rest to go, well, wait a second. If we can buy those properties at a 7% return, right? Yeah, we can bundle that together, we can get debt cheap. And then we can turn it into a REIT or whatever. And we get a pretty nice spread, even if that rent is only a 7% return. So they all jumped in the market. And now prices got support and started to come back up, right? We, we, regulators won't make that mistake again. Mostly all the states kind of changed their rules. Most of the states now have rules that the banks have to look at Um, you know, loan modifications and stuff and have to look for the most economic outcome. The regulators are way way more about that it's being more important to keep people in their homes than it is to, you know, foreclose and get the, the asset back on the streets. And then I think banks and regulators understand that it's better to sit on the assets, rent them out themselves than it is to dump them all in the market at once.
0: Agreed. And
1: without um, that motivated seller that can take that huge discount, right? There isn't going to be that, uh, uh, that, that available inventory at lower prices to see prices fall the way they did in 2008. I'm not saying we won't see a correction. We certainly will in some markets, people will have enough equity now after prices having gone up so much that they'll say, you know what, I want out of Timbuktu and I'm willing to take a 10% discount. I'm willing to take a 20% discount. And if there's enough people in Timbuktu that agree to do that, we will see those markets come down. Okay. I think nationally, we will see, you know, we will start to see some declines, but nothing, nothing like what we saw in 2008. There will be opportunities for foreclosure investors, but nothing like 2008, not where you can go down and pick your choice of homes that were built three years ago, right? That are brand new and perfect inside at, you know, 50 cents on the dollar. We're not going to see that.
0: Well, in the debt chart, we had talked about the, the mortgage debt nowhere near some of the other debt levels. And now that we're at zero, if they make the the strategic move to make liquidity and, and debt available for these, that, that is definitely a change. So that's that's good. I didn't think about that. Okay. Well, and the,
1: Fed, the Fed's buying that mortgage-backed securities like crazy. Right. They well, they're providing a lot of support to keep interest rates down and keep the housing market moving. And Are so you- long as so long as IMBs in, in, independent mortgage banks don't implode and the Fed continues to have the mortgage industry's back and keeps interest rates low. So there is some, you know, if something blew up in the mortgage banking industry and rates went way up, all bets are off. Okay. But if, if, if what we're seeing right now, credit's a little tighter, but rates are a little lower. If we continue to see that, I, I, I don't foresee we'll see a major downturn.
0: Are you worried about any other black swans?
1: Well, oh, of course, right. Every single other one that I had on my chart—I should pull that up—you uh, know—still exists today, right? Um, and there's nothing that says we can't have a black swan on top of a black swan, right? Like 2020s already felt like that, right? With the, with the you know the protests and riots and and we've had you know all these you know the, the COVID and locusts and like. There's, there's been a lot going on this year, right? But, you know, I think cybersecurity, terrorism. International you know, turmoil. I mean, man. International the- turmoil, war, right? Uh, automation is still uh, impacting jobs, right? It, one thing, you know, that I think we're not talking about a lot, right? But some of the reaction to COVID may make the unemployment situation, long-term unemployment situation worse, right? Sure. If I can order from my restaurant at my seat with my phone, and I don't need a server other than somebody just to bring it out and set it on my table, but nobody have to come talk to me, right? What happens to wait staff? Right? It it, it probably changes. I need a different level of staff to just drop food on a on a table than I need to provide customer service and take orders. Now, I'm not saying every restaurant will go that way, but some will, right? Mm-hmm. I think some fast food restaurants, we're not going to see people behind the counter, right? Anymore. Like we will see touch pads yep. and probably some sort of cool UV light self cleaning touch pads. Right. <laughs> so, you know, right? Um, or, we'll, or we'll use our phone, right? Like, so we may accelerate a bunch of automation, right? And even the $600, a month extra check where people don't wanna come back to work it may force you know, some employers to go, you know what, I'm gonna finally, we're hearing about this in ag, right? All this immigration stuff, I can't bring in folks, the, the visas that I used to bring folks in legally to help harvest, well, a lot of the wineries like their grapes hand-picked, right? Better flavor and all the rest, but they can't hand-pick them, so they had to invest in machinery. Well, now they need to pay that machinery off so they can't go back to handpicking. They're gonna have to use that machinery going forward, wow. right? So there's a, you know, there's, there's a lot of change still coming um, from this. And uh, you know, my favorite saying to my kids are change is the only constant, right? Like, you know, people don't like change, right? People hate it when we change our software. And, but change is the only constant. And if you're not changing, you're dying. And um, I think right now, that'd be my one of my bits of takeaway is embrace embrace change, right? Think about how you put uh, electronic locks. Realtors, think about how you put electronic locks on your doors. And, you know, a lot of you are already doing the Matterport and the virtual tours and yeah. you know, all that stuff, right? Like, uh, the iBuyers kind of led on that, right? With people list tours of of houses uh, you know i think everybody needs to be thinking about those kinds of things because those changes are going to come
0: i'm a big advocate of that of, of watching the technology providers because they've got some great ideas and it doesn't mean that we can't borrow <laughs> robin Steele the, the same and, and mimic what they're doing um, yeah. what are maybe some other opportunities because it's really a conversation about getting more tech savvy and everyone's at home quarantined, so now's a good time um, I've heard a lot of great conversation. Realtors only showing houses for people that are completely qualified. You, know,
1: wow. how- you can get away with that now, right? Like think about what a time saver that is for a realtor. Like, hey, I'd love to show you houses, but we have to qualify first, right? There's a lot of folks that have listings. They're saying, we're not going to show the house until you've made an offer, right? So you need to be that serious just looking at our Matterports and our pictures and the rest that you're willing to make an offer and declare a price Right. And once you've made an offer, then we'll show you the house. (laughs) You couldn't have gotten away with that uh, a few months ago.
0: For sure. And And people making decisions online only, buying houses. I'm watching that happen right now. People just like, you know what? I'll buy it. The pictures are good enough. I, I,
1: that was already happening last year. Yeah. And, but it's definitely accelerating now. Like, I want to be there. That house looks nice. I can look at the aerial photos, I can see enough stuff. You did a nice 3D tour, I'm in, right?
0: I'm going to be interesting to watch that chart that you've got, the real wages versus... uh, Productivity. Productivity to see if there's another... Because we're really forcing the issue on a lot of technology on people. Um, I I work out with somebody who's IT for a county, and he's like, I work 24 hours a day. We've had to go from zero to 100 overnight, but nothing will ever be the same. (laughs) So... It's going to be really interesting to watch.
1: Leave it just on some big picture advice. I think we're a little over uh, our...
0: Yeah, market. we are. Okay, yeah.
1: Just go. But, um, you know, I think a few things that I would say right now is you really you need to be jumping back in and making stuff happen right now. And if you're waiting for, you know, things to be back to normal, um, You know, change is the only constant. I don't think we're ever going back to the way things were pre-COVID, just like we haven't gone back to the way things were pre-9-11, right? Right. We're all still taking our shoes off and going through security lines at airports. It's just, it's change. It is what it is. And I would go for it. Um, But another safe, uh, you know, another black swan, COVID getting worse, uh, lockdown's back again. You know wear a safety harness, right? Like think about think about uh, not pushing so far forward, not over investing so much, right? instead of going so leveraged on those deals you want, maybe find a partner and take a little less percentage and have somebody else in there with you so that you can afford some shock if you know every tenant in your building, decides to cancel rent right and you can't evict them that happened Um, so you know be ready for that have enough you know don't hoard cash too much right because it's being devalued right now but also don't put all your cash out there so you have some safety net right so just get in there make it happen but have a safety net always be looking for opportunities And understand there's going to be winners and losers here, right? And so if you're looking at something that's a loser, understand for every loser, there's going to be a winner too, right? That's just what happens in these reflations. And be looking for those losers, looking for the winners, and making sure you're on the right side of that equation. And you know what? Kind of like my short-term rental guy who, you know, as soon as lockdown happened, he advertised in New York, right? For, you know, the New York escape um, and rented all 20 of his units, right? You got to always hustle, right? Like just, you got to hustle. And, um, now is not the time to not be hustling. I know a lot of people went home and kind of, you know, Netflixed and chilled, <laughs> uh, <laughs> But you got to keep hustling. You just got to keep going. And, uh, you know, I think right now, during these periods of change, they are the biggest periods of opportunity, right? Mm -hmm. More wealth was created coming out of the Great Depression, right, than probably any other point in history, right? So those, those things that happen, these things that happen right now, they create opportunity. you got to go hustle
0: and find it. All right. Well, I think with that, let's wrap it up. Um, We're going to be putting show notes on data-driven real estate.com. You can ask questions there and find resource links. Uh, And if you're on YouTube, I'll make sure to post some notes and some links to some extra resources in there as well. Um, And we'd love to hear your feedback in the community as well. Um, Checking out, uh, here, maybe some people that you'd like to talk to, uh, for us to talk to on the show. Um, we've got a lot of exciting stuff coming your way. So real estate.com.
1: I was going to say, we, we really appreciate all the questions, right? Like, so a lot of today's podcast, um, we actually didn't plan to do another one. Just you and I, we were going to jump straight to guests Yeah. and we all these great questions. And we're like, you know what? We should, we should get out there and talk about this stuff, uh, and then move to guests. So,
0: Been way great, great um,
1: to guess yet, or is it still secret?
0: You know what? I think we are going to have Bruce on, my pops, and I always love hearing you guys talk about timing. John Burns says he's going to come on and, you know, John Burns is such a wealth of information in, in the builder community and the Wall Street community. Can't wait to talk to him. Um, oh, we I
1: an- loved what he did with uh, demographics instead oh. of millennials and the rest doing it by decades. It just made all so much more sense.
0: Exactly. And then um, we've got somebody from IBM. Um, so we're going to talk wow. about some more advanced marketing topics. So just to start, I've got a list of about 20 that we'll start banging away at uh, in the next couple months over summer. So I'm excited.
1: Me too. Super excited. Thank you, Aaron. All
0: right. Until next week.